you would turn your Bible to Luke chapter 10. I do hope you'll stay for the afternoon service as we consider God's plan for Lighthouse Baptist Church. There's a place in that plan for everyone. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10 this morning. We're going to look at, looking at a very familiar story in the Gospel of Luke, probably one of the most popular stories, but probably one that's very often misunderstood and misapplied. And that's the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, I'm sure you've probably you know, read about it in children's books and things like that, but uh, let's see what the Bible has to say. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. And he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, Certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in the oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Like I said, this is probably one of the more popular stories in the New Testament often misinterpreted and misunderstood, and used by many to teach salvation by works. Just do good to your neighbor. You hear that a lot. And many times in a, people in an attempt to deliver themselves from the reality of their guilt before God, you know, they'll compare themselves among themselves over someone else, or pointing out what they consider their own interpretation of Scripture as a reasonable exemption or inconsistency to justify themselves. And so, in the story of the Good Samaritan, we have Jesus' answer to such a man who's trying to justify himself. And, and what he's doing is proving that man cannot be saved by his own works or justified by the law. Because really, when you... You examine when he says, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and thy mind, and thy neighbor of the self as thyself. You're including the first table and the second table 
of the Ten Commandments. The second table has to do with your relationship to man. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, and so on and so forth. So, so have I titled this this morning, Just or are you Justifying Yourself? Let's, let's look a little bit in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word. I pray that you speak to our hearts. I pray that, you, uh, uh, that the word of God reveal our hearts as we really are in thy sight. I pray that the spirit of God would have his will and his way and, be glorif- and you'd be glorified. Save those that may be lost or are trying to justify their own means, their own way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now those who usually justify themselves, I have four things I want to mention this morning in considering justifying self. First of all, when justifying self involves an exaltation of self. It it's involves an exalting self. You notice the, 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 the lawyer, of course a lawyer is a, many times one of the Pharisees, he was one that was, was uh, educated in the law or taught the law. Uh, and he came and he said, he tempted him saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do? Now, you, know, you could say it depends on how you ask or what you mean by that question. Whether he's trying to justify himself and, or earn his way to heaven or he's really wanting to know how he can be saved. But considering the context here of this man and, and verse 29 where it says he's willing to justify himself, I believe what he's doing is saying, what can I do or how can I earn my way to eternal life or to heaven? He's looking for approval for his own works. He's like the rich young ruler who, 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 who said, what shall I, again, he said, what shall I do in Luke chapter 17? What shall I do? You know, saying that they thought they could merit salvation in some way. Now the Philippian jailer, on the other hand, said, what must I do? Not what shall I do. What must I do? In other words, he was willing to do anything. He was willing to do anything. I mean, he came kneeling and, 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 and prostrated himself before Paul and Silas. What must I do? You see, so there's an exaltation of self uh, for those who justify themselves. Secondly, they justify themselves by their own interpretation of Scripture. Notice verse 29 says, But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You know, the question coming from a lawyer or a Orthodox Jew is essentially an excuse to be partial against those they considered by their own law or tradition or interpretation of God's law, enemies or outcasts. James Fawcett Bryan in his commentary said this, he was willing or wishing to get himself out of the difficulty by throwing on Jesus the definition of neighbor which the Jews interpreted very narrowly and technically as excluding Samaritans or Gentiles, which would also include Romans. You know, they were under Roman rule at this time. 
So, so the neighbor, a neighbor, according to Jews, a Jewish definition, was any member of the Hebrew nation and commonwealth. So by the Pharisees and the lawyers' interpretation, the priests and Levites' actions, if they didn't know him, he wasn't their neighbor. Therefore, they did not need to help him. So it was an excuse not to love or help someone in need. In need. Although their own law, you know, and, and, and one of the things that Jesus would, would contend with the Pharisees was their inconsistency with, their, with the law that they prided themselves in. You know, even their own law expressly required the opposite treatment even of the beast of an enemy. You know, isn't this not what many people do by interpreting the scripture and justifying their actions in light of their experiences instead of determining their actions in light of the scriptures? Let me repeat that. Is it what many people do by interpreting the scriptures in, and justifying their actions in light of their experiences with the people of God instead of Determining their actions in light of Scripture. You know, I've said this before when I was in Maine. I don't know how many times I heard this say, this saying, I never go to that church again. Now, from a human standpoint, they had a lot of justification for that statement. But from a biblical standpoint, it was totally off base. Because what they were, what they, what you do in that case is, is you're exalting a man over God. You're determining your actions based upon what men do and not what God says. So man becomes your authority. So it's comparing themselves with others and to deem themselves justified in their rebellion and disobedience against God, and thereby they failed to serve God through His church and to love their neighbors as themselves by endeavoring to reach sinners who were wounded and dead trespasses in sin. Even, the, even their own law said, Deuteronomy 24-4 says this, Thou shalt not see thy brother's ass, or his ox fall down by the way, and hide thyself from them. Thou shalt surely help to lift them up again. Then Exodus 23, 4 and 5 says, If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee, lying under his burden, and wouldest bear to help him, thou shalt surely help him. So even somebody that hates you, if you see him in need, you're to help him. This was the law that they pride themselves in knowing. You know, the, the, you know, we can come to the New Testament and have a, 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 a uh, cross-reference here. Go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. <coughs> Excuse me. Matthew 5, verse 43 says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. 
For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? If ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. In other words, the world does that. Are you doing any better than the world? Are you any different then from the world? Verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You know, God so loved the world. God loved his enemies. While we were yet enemy, Christ, enmity, Christ died for us. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. All men. And the greatest good that we can do for anyone is give them the gospel or the good news that Jesus saves. And so, by their own, they justify themselves by their own interpretation of Scripture. So notice the third thing. They attempt to justify themselves by the sacrifices and services they have made. Now look at verses 31 and 32. It says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by him to the side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Now, again, James Fawcett Brown in his commentary said this, quote, There came down a priest and a Levite. Jericho, the second city of Judea, was a city of the priests and Levites, and thousands of them lived there. So they were journeying from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, 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 and he says, the two here mentioned are supposed, apparently, to be returning from their temple duties, and they were busy in the Lord's work. You know, they had done what was expected of them. They had done their duty. So why do I need to be encumbered with this whoever he is? Well, go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. The Lord has something to say about being a servant of the Lord. Luke 17 verse 7 says, But which of you, having a servant, plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet. And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank the servant, because he did these the things that which were commanded of him? I trow not. That word trow says, I think not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all these things, which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. So, you know, many times you know, they, they, they excused themselves because they had done their duty. They didn't feel it was their responsibility. But one of the phrases that Jesus used in the New Testament was this. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Go to, in fact, go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. He uses that phrase twice in Ma the Gospel of Matthew. 
And one of those places is Matthew chapter 12. And there again he's talking to them about this issue, how they pride themselves in their sacrifices and all those things, and how they were inconsistent in that this. And Matthew 12 says, And at that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is lawful to do on the Sabbath day. So, get the picture, they're walking through a grain field, and they're hungry. So, like I would do, i just pull off some grain, I guess, that's right, and eat it. The Pharisees are criticizing them because they say they're laboring on the Sabbath day. You know, they had become so overreactive to the commands that God gave that they totally corrupted them. Now he said to do no several work on the Sabbath. In fact, let's read on here. Verse, verse uh, 3. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was a hungered, and, and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God to eat the showbread, which was not lawful to him to eat, neither for them which were with him but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law, notice it, how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. He said, haven't you not read that the, the priests profane the Sabbath on our blameless? Now how do the priests profane the Sabbath? Well, in Numbers 28, verses 9 and 10, it says this. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot, and two tenth deals of flour for a meat offering mingled with wool and the drink offering thereof. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath day. Beside the continual burnt offering and his drink offering, what were they doing? They had to work to kill those sacrifices and to put them on the altar. was the purpose of the sacrifices? It was to provide mercy for sinners. Now he said he did say they weren't to do any servile work. In other words, they weren't supposed to be doing business. It didn't mean that they couldn't offer sacrifices on the Sabbath day. And one of the things that they will contend with him over and over again is, you know, he healed people on the Sabbath day, and they said he shouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath day. There are six, six days in the week where you can come and be healed. You don't need to be healed on the seventh day. And Jesus said, I'll have mercy and not sacrifice. And what he means by that is, Human need is more important than ceremonial rituals. Human need is more important than ceremonial rituals. You know, think about it. Assembling together is right. In fact, it's commanded by God's people. Is it not? So unless you're providentially hindered, you should be here. That's very important. All right? If I was leaving for church and I saw my neighbor's house on fire, 
What is the right thing to do? Well, that's his problem. I might miss church. If I stopped help, I might miss church. But what's the right thing to do? Stop and help. See, human need is more important. It's more important. Yeah. I mean, you drive by a house and there's a, there's a child, seven or eight years old, being attacked by a dog. And there's nobody around. Again, you're on your way to church or you're on your way to work. Well, it's not my child. Of course, the liberals say, you know, there's too many people in the world anyway. Just let them die. Uh, no, no, you would stop to help. You see, human need is more important than ceremony. You know, in a sense, and I don't, I, I don't like that word ceremony or rituals, but there's a certain amount of truth to that even in a church service. You know, something we do every Lord's Day. So in a way, it's a ceremony, and it is important. God does command it. But when there's a human need, it, it is more important than this. Even. You see, this is what Jesus called living by the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. They were so concerned about being so rigid with their laws that they forsook being merciful to people in need. You know, we, have to, we have to guard ourselves against being so, so right that we don't reach out and help others. You know, we don't want to be the first church of the iceberg pastored by Jack Frost. We're right, you know, and everybody else is wrong, and you know, and and uh, we're just rigid as a, no. We need to be, we need to to, ha, to to be compassionate as well. So, so they were they justified themselves by their sacrifices and service they made, and then then fourthly, we can justify ourselves by a refusal. This is interesting to me. By a refusal to proper identification. Now notice verse thirty six and thirty seven. Which now of these three? So he goes through the story. And he, the man who, it was, was neighbor, of course, the, the Samaritan. He mentions the Samaritan. And he asked this lawyer now, Now which of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. Now, notice Jesus didn't say, who is neighbor? He said, which was neighbor. And the lawyer, in a sense, gives him a right answer, but in his answer, in his self-righteousness, he, he refused to properly identify the person. The Samaritan. You see, he wasn't going to say that word. Because of his prejudice against Samaritans, he would not give credit to him to whom it was due. 
you know, there was great prejudice and hatred and animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. In fact, in John 4, when Jesus met the woman at the well, the woman saith unto him, How is it thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of, of, of me, which am a woman of the Samaritans, Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And then in verse 27 of John 4, then when disciples, uh, upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. They couldn't believe he talked, he was talking with a Samaritan woman. See, the, the name Samaritan, according to the Jews, was one excommunicated by the Jews. It was a byword among them. It was synonymous with heretic and devil. John 8.48, the Jews answered and said unto him, Say not we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. And see, this lawyer would not bring himself to properly identify who was neighbor. Who was neighbor? In trying to justify himself. You know how often when there's conflict in our relationships, whether with the Lord or with one another, we refuse to really evaluate ourselves with the Lord and fail to identify the real areas of sin in our own lives and make it right. You know, Christians have problems. Did you figure that out? I've been in the ministry now. It's going on, I guess, 30 years. And I figured out Christians have problems. You know what else I figure out? I got problems. We all have problems. We got human nature. That many times our, a lot of our problems come from or that we, we refuse to truly evaluate or rightly evaluate ourselves. You know, think about the, the church at Corinth. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. You know, here, here's a church. This is, this is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they got problems. They got a lot of problems. You know, every church in the New Testament had some problems. Because they're made up of people. They're made up of human beings uh, who have a fallen nature. In verse 10, it says, Paul said, writing to them, says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So they had this divisions and there was contentions. You know, what is the source of contentions? Well, according to the Bible, Proverbs 13.10 says this, Only by pride cometh. Only by pride. So there was obviously pride here. They had a pride problem. I mean, in chapter 3, 
verses 1 through 4, he calls them babes and carnal. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk. That's what you feed a baby. Not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am a Paul, and another of I am Apollos, are not ye carnal? I mean, and they were puffed up about it. In chapter 4, verse 18, it says, Now some of you are puffed up, as though I would not come to you. They were puffed up with their knowledge. They were gloating themselves uh, over themselves while overlooking sin among them that was not even named among the Gentiles. Chapter 5, verse 1 tells us that. You know, sometimes the world knows better than sometimes the Christians appear to do. Yeah, even the world sometimes say, you know, that's not right. I mean, there were lawsuits in chapter 6. They were, they were suing one another in the courts of the world. And Paul says, look, you should be able to settle that in the church. The church is to be self-governing. We, we ought to be able to govern ourselves. We shouldn't need the world to govern us. We have a higher authority than the world. And that's the word of God. You know, we should, we should be, a church should be an example of the right kind of government to the world. And on and on it goes. Chapter 11, they defiled, desecrated the Lord's Supper. Chapter 13, 14, they prided themselves in the misuse of spiritual gifts. Chapter 15, they questioned the resurrection. And on and on it goes. And you know, you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. You know what he tells them? Examine yourselves. Look, you need to really examine yourselves. You know, one of the things he had he had he had uh, corrected them about, or spoke to them about, rebuked them for, was they were comparing themselves among themselves. And he said, "They that compare themselves among themselves are not wise." You know, a lot of people justify themselves by looking at somebody else. Say, "Well, you know, I ain't that bad." You know, I had a guy one time. I mean, he had raped his granddaughter. He was a wicked man. And my father-in-law asked him, so did you ever sin? He said, well, I never killed anybody. You know, really what he was saying, well, you know, I'm, there's people worse than me. I'm not so bad. Really? And so Paul says, you need to examine yourselves, whether you be in your faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? You, know, you might say, well, that's terrible. That church of Corinth was a lousy church. You know what? It was one of the Lord's churches with people like us that have sin problems. And if left go, not properly identified, and dealt with will ruin and destroy us. But you, you know, from first to second Corinthians, the church made progress because Paul identified their problems and they dealt with some of them. You know what? You can make progress too, but you have to properly identify the problem 
or the sin. You know, 1 John, really that's what 1 John 1, 9 says, means when it says, if we confess our sin. It really means to agree with God. To confess there means that I agree with God about my sin. I properly identify it. And it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you know, we have to be pro willing to properly identify it. But you'll not make progress if you justify yourself. Progress can only be made when we examine ourselves in the light of God's word. You know, we're all going to give an account of ourselves to God. Romans 14, 12 says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Romans chapter 2 tells us that, that God's going to judge us according to truth. And that there is no respect of persons with him. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You have the power of influence or you're just a nobody. You know, those things affect us many times in the world. But when we stand before God, that isn't going to matter. Isn't going to matter. You know, sometimes people think that they can get away with things in church because they have money. That ought never be the case. I've seen, I've heard of places where, oh, they cared to this person, this person, because they got money. No, God's going to render to every man according to his deeds, Romans chapter 2 tells us. So we need to be willing to examine ourselves in the light of God's word. We must not justify or endeavor to justify ourselves. When we stand before God, it isn't going to account for anything. See, we have to be willing to properly identify. So the question is this morning is, have you been made just by God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you endeavoring to justify yourself? Interpreting scripture for your own satisfaction. You know, is it the gospel according to you? <laughs> you know, we've often used that phrase in our house. You know, that's the gospel according to him, you know. He's got his own, own interpretation. Well, I put my time in, or well, you know, I just don't want to really face the facts. So, are you willing to examine yourself this morning? Do you have peace with God? Do you know that you've been born again? Christian, are you in fellowship with the Lord? Or is there some area of your life you're just not willing to open and allow the Lord to examine it and have his way. Which is it for you this morning?